Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning, South Valley. How's everyone doing? Man, well, I am uh, so excited to be here. Man, what a, an amazing time of worship. Amen? One of my favorite things, I always tell my students and I tell uh, young adults and everybody that one of my favorite things is being able to uh, worship with the church, with the congregation, be able to sing all together. It's just there's no uh, better sound uh, at all because all the glory is, is God's. Amen? The only one worthy of our worship is God. Amen? Amen. Well, uh, guys, uh, tonight, uh, for those of you guys that know me, actually, to start off my introducing myself, my name is Jonathan Mondragon. I am the next-gen pastor here at South Valley, so everything youth, everything young adults, uh, just I just have the honor to be able to uh, pastor those ministries uh, here at South Valley. And today, I am just honored and blessed uh, to be able to preach in place of Pastor Ricky here today while he is out. And just as we have been the last few weeks, today we are going to be continuing this series in the Ten Commandments called Thou Shall Love. Uh, And man, this series has been a real eye-opener for me, and I'm sure you feel the same way because at a glance, these commandments just seem like they're very basic and they're very simple, but when we take a deeper look at them, we see that they're a little more complicated than we first imagined. They're multifaceted, and maybe we just didn't think of uh, that that these commandments can go this deep and can be rooted this deep uh, within just the whole scopes of Scripture. And so to reiterate some of the description that Ricky has been saying throughout this series, uh, let me summarize a little bit what the commandments are, which essentially it's a summary of the law. If you start here all the way to the end of the Torah, there are actually 600 613 laws. Uh, these 613 laws can be summarized with these 10 commandments. And oftentimes we see that they are broken up into two different ways. The first half is how to have a relationship with uh, God. And the second half is how to have a good relationship with your, your neighbor, right? With, with people. And that's exactly how Jesus summarized it, uh, how he summarized it later in the Gospels, to love God and to love people. So today I get to get the, I get the privilege Privilege to be able to preach the ninth commandment on thou shalt not bear false witness. So uh, this morning, if you have your Bibles, we're going to read it all together uh, for the sake of just reading scripture together as one body. Amen. So uh, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, it says uh, this, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Amen. Pray with me and we'll get into this sermon. God, thank you so much for today. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for uh, your blessings. I thank you that we uh, get the privilege to be able to worship your name, God. I said today that it'd be so evident the glory belongs to you from the beginning of today, from service to the end, God, that we are here for you and to to bring you glory and to bring you worship, God. I said today that your Holy Spirit convict, your Holy Spirit teach about what it looks like to not bear false witness and what it looks like to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, to seek out truth in all circumstances, God. Love you so much. Thank you so much. And in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says... Amen, amen. Well, as many of you uh, already probably realize, today we're talking about lying. Uh, So let me start us off by asking a very simple question. Is it ever okay to lie? Now, before you answer that question, 
let me follow up with a very serious moral dilemma. All right, so a lot of us here are married by show of hands, married people in here, right? Uh, and maybe some of us here are maybe dating somebody. Maybe some of us have a girlfriend or a boyfriend in here. But let me ask you this question, right? Let me pick, let, let me get on the guys for a little bit here, all right? Men, married men, boyfriends, your girlfriend comes out, your wife comes out, you're getting ready to go to a nice dinner party, right? You're already running a little late, wearing a dress. She asked that question. Does this dress look good on me? You like blue? She's wearing red. You're like, hmm. Let me think about it. And you better think long and hard about what you are going to say next because essentially the question is, uh, do I want to have a good day or not, right? And it really will determine how late you're going to be to that party because they're going to find the perfect outfit. All right, but I got some for the, 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 the girls in here, the wives in here, right? Your husband comes in or maybe even just like, you know, somebody that took a long time picking out an outfit for the next day because they were preaching um, comes and asks, does this outfit make me look short? Does it? Don't lie. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I know I'm short. But in all seriousness today, uh, we are going to dive into this ninth commandment. And we're going to be talking about what it instructs us and what it reminds us and what it teaches us. So today I have three points for us on what the ninth commandment teaches us and what it reminds us of. The first one is that God never lies. The lying begins in the heart. And the last one today is the lying corrupts the testimony of the church. So let's start with the first one, that God never lies. Why is telling the truth so important? It's important because it is the nature of God himself. In Numbers uh, 23, 19, it says that God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and, he, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and he will, will he not fulfill it? See, that God never lies. He doesn't lie ever. What makes God God and not human? One answer is that he does not lie ever. He never lies. And I think in life often we try to stay away from generalizations or we try to stay away from absolute statements like this of not saying always and never, right? For some of us married couples out here, we know, right? Don't say you always do this or you never do that, right? And even in, in life that oftentimes we don't make these absolute statements because there's always sometimes this little probability of that, uh, of something happening that you didn't expect. But here with God, we can rest assured that we, that it's okay to make these absolute statement to say that he never lies. He does not lie ever. That he is not man that he should lie. He is God and his character of who he is is that he does not lie. And Romans 3, 4 says, let God be true though, though everyone were a liar. And I think in this ninth commandment reveals a characteristic about God. It reveals his character, right? We, we learn something theological about, about God, that he does not lie. But it also reveals something about us, that we are liars. Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. It's the nature of God himself. Conversely, what is the nature of the devil? What is the nature of our enemy? He is the father of lies. 
And here's the thing, when you twist and deceive and, and, and fall under the sin of, of lying, you are doing the work of the enemy. And he is on the other side of what is good. He is the, uh, on the other side of what is true. He has everything that represents lies and deceit. Right from the very beginning, in Genesis 3, it says he often questions the words of God and tries to manipulate lies into the, the heart of Eve. As he would say the statement of, did God actually say? Did God really say? That he shows himself for what he truly is, that he is a deceiver. He doesn't just use bold-faced lies, but he does subtle half-truths and misleading statements, and he represents, he presents the bait and hides the hook, and you feel so attracted to it until you're right on the hook and trapped under the sin of lying. Well, you gotta tell the truth up in here today. <laughs> And that's, the good, and that's the good thing and the good news about God, that we can trust his words because he is God, that he does not lie. So where do we find this truth? Where do we find the truth about the enemy? Where do we, try and, where do we find truth about God? We find it in Scripture because God's truth is found in Scripture. For us to lay a foundation for truth, we must lay it on Scripture because they are God's words. We believe that all the words in the Bible, as Christians, as believers, we believe that all the words in the Bible are God's words. Therefore, to disobey the word is to disobey God himself. How do we know this? Oftentimes in the Old Testament, we are introduced with the phrase, thus says the Lord. We see it all over. We see it in Exodus, Joshua, Samuel, Isaiah, Deuteronomy, Jeremiah, etc. throughout scripture. And this phrase is understood to be a command of a king. It indicates that what followed, that it was to be obeyed without challenge or question. That God said it and we must obey it. Paul in 2 Timothy 3.16 makes it clear that he writes that all scripture is breathed out by God. The New Testament also affirms that the words of Paul, Peter in 2 Peter 3.16, it says that Paul's letters are part of the scriptures. This means that Peter and the early church considered Paul's writings in the same category as Old Testament writings. Therefore, they considered Paul's writings to be the very words of God. So if God claims the words of Scripture are his own, then there is ultimately no higher authority that can appeal to prove the claim that Scripture makes about itself. For what authority can be higher than God? We can trust the Scriptures about who God says he is, about what they say, because they are breathed out by God. They are God's very own words. And if God is perfect and never lies, then we can know that the Scripture and every single truth Truth that's in here is truth. In fact, it's the foundational truth for everything that we seek for here on earth and in heaven. Unlike the enemy, God never lies. I want to highlight two very important things that God never lies about. The first thing is that God does not lie about who he is. God does not lie about who he is. This is what the Bible says 
about God, which essentially is what God says about himself. It says that God is love. God is light. God is spirit. God is righteous. God is eternal. God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. God is omnipotent. God is good. God is holy. God is righteous. God is just. God is perfect. God does not change. See, I want to focus on the last one, that God does not change. There's a theological word that people use often. It's this word immutable. That it means exactly that, that God does not change. That God is immutable, right? That he doesn't change his mind about things. That he has laid everything to run its course. That he has ordained everything to happen. That what you're going through is for a purpose. He does not change about it. That he will make things come together for, for good to those, for those who love him. That we know that he does not change. Everything he does is good and it's according to his plan. And see, this is good news because as believers, we cling on to the promises that God gives us. And if we know that he does not lie about who he is and that he is unchangeable, that he is immutable and he doesn't change his mind, we know that the promises that he gives us are to come to fruition, that he will fulfill and keep his words about his promises. And that's the second thing that I want to talk about today, that, that he does not lie, that he does not lie about his promises, I'm going to list a few out that I hope that you get encouraged by and I hope that you cling on to on the promises and rest assured that God will fulfill this, these things in your life. Isaiah 41.10, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Isaiah 40.31, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John 8, 36. So if the son sets you free, you will be freed indeed. Romans chapter 10, 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. These are the promises that we cling on to because of these are the promises that God gives us in scripture. And we can be secure that in these promises, God will fulfill them because he never lies. We can rest assured that we are his children. You can rest assured that you are his sons and daughters, that we have been saved through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone, which is the foundation of all truth because they are the very true words of our God that we worship. Amen. For this reason, words matter. And it matters what we use our words for. Whether it be for lying or they be for truth. See, we live in a time where words constantly bombard us, amen? We read them, we hear them, we see them, and then usually we just discount them, right? 
And I don't blame you because in, in, in the world we live in, people write articles, they publish news stories, report news to push their personal opinions instead of telling facts and truths. But this isn't how words should function. People shouldn't doubt us as believers, especially. People shouldn't doubt if we are being honest. You see, God invented words. He communicates by words. He not only hallows the whole sphere of language and communication, but he considers language to be in some way an extension of his character, of who he is. What is the call when God comes to earth? John says that it is the word made flesh in John chapter 1. God is present where his word is present. That's how important language, speech, and true statements are. To reflect the character of God, we must speak the true words and take great, pain, great pains to say the truth and nothing but the truth. If we want to be good image bearers and follow Jesus and be like Jesus and love like Jesus, we must speak like Jesus. We reflect his character well in seeking and saying truth as we live about our lives. Amen? Amen? My second point for you guys today, and what the ninth commandment reminds us of, is that lying begins in the heart. Lying begins in the heart. Ultimately, the Ten Commandments, it shows us our heart. Amen? The, ten, the whole Ten Commandments as a whole, it really shows us our heart. That God would have to tell us what seems to be simple moral truths, that he would have to say these things, means that we are in need of some serious help. Amen? That God would have to say, hey, don't murder. Man, we need some help. <laughs> hey, don't steal. You imagine those the things that we say to our kids when they're young, right? Don't steal, don't take this, don't touch that. The fact that God would have to write these things down, it shows that we need some help. In fact, it reveals that the standard that God has is so high and unreachable that we can't do it on our own. But then in fact, that we need a savior because we have been defiled by sin, that the only hope we have is a savior. Amen? So we can sit here and go throughout the Ten Commandments and maybe we've We've been here and we sat through all of, all of the teachings and every single sermon and we can sit here and be like, well, you know what? I think I might be fine because I've never murdered. I never committed adultery. I haven't committed perjury. So I'm fine, right? But as we've seen throughout all the commandments in the previous sermons uh, that, that we've preached throughout this series, we see that Ten Commandments often gives us, um, it gives us the worst example of sinning in some sort of way. Right? For instance, murder is the worst way for breaking the sixth commandment, but, but Jesus tells us that it's not the only way. You could also be angry or hate your brother and be, become guilty of that sin. Right? Adultery is the worst way of violating the seventh commandment, but Jesus tells that if you lust after someone, you have also sinned. So here with the ninth commandment, the worst thing you can do is bear false witness in a court of law uh, where someone's life could be snuffed out and, and, just, and just ruined because of your lies. But this, this, this commandment doesn't just cover the courtroom cases and all these interactions. Uh, it, it also deals with all manner of lies and falseness. Throughout the Ten Commandments, we've seen that God cares about justice, right? And he commands against murder because he values every single life because it's made in his image. Right? That, 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 that he makes law against, uh, against stealing because he, he cares about the right of private property. But we, hear, we see here in the ninth commandment that 
God also cares deeply about verbal justice. Right, the, the, the stuff that we heard as kids, remember we tell our kids that sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will never hurt. That's just a lie. <laughs> it's not true, right? Because lies hurt people deeply. Lies can hurt people deeply. And the interesting thing about this commandment is that it's interweaved in, in, in so many other commands that we see as well. That oftentimes when someone wants to get away with murder, they lie. When someone wants to get away with uh, committing adultery, they lie. When we want to get away with stealing, they lie. So in fact, this command is meant really to protect marriages, to protect property, to protect life, reputation, and honor. It's much deeper than maybe we essentially see it from the top. So this begs the question, what is forbidden in the ninth commandment? What exactly is forbidden in the ninth commandment? I think to answer this properly, I want us to take a look at the Heidelberg uh, Catechism. And the Heidelberg Catechism is a Protestant Christian confessional document taking the form of a series of questions that oftentimes they were written for the church to be able to memorize and learn true doctrines and true biblical doctrines and be able to recite these things back. This one was published in 1563 in Heidelberg, Germany, hence the name. Um, and it answers this question. What is the, is the aim of the ninth commandment, right? What is the purpose behind it? What is forbidden? And it answers in this way that I never give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing. Rather, in court and everywhere else, I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. These are very serious devices the devil uses, and they would call down on me God's intense wrath. I should love truth, speak it candidly, and openly acknowledge it. And I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. Amen. So let's start off with the first one. What is forbidden in the ninth commandment? Number one, twist no one's words. Right? Twist no one's words. And that's such an easy thing to do, right? That it's easy to twist people's words, right? We all have our jobs. We all go to, maybe some of us go to schools and we, we interact with people. We have small groups. We have teams. We're a part of different clubs and all over the place. You have different spheres of circles of people you interact with. So us being fallen human beings and having a, a tendency to sin, there, there's bound to be some type of uh, problems and, and quarrels from time to time, right? And so when it's time to tell about what happened, sometimes we're not very true truthful about what happened, right? Because you know what we're really good at? We're really good at being able to make ourselves look good and make the other party look horrible. We're really good at that. You come home, you know, vent to your wife or your friend or whoever it is, right? And you're like, man, you should have seen me. I was so amazing. I was so loving. I mean, I gave him money. Um, I gave him food. I was just the best person in the world. I was like, I saw a halo form around the top of my head. But the other man, the other the man, they were just so horrible. They did everything. They disrespected me. They gave me a dirty look. I said hi this morning and they didn't even look up from their keyboard. Could you imagine that? Man, we are so good at this. And how do I know we're so good at this? Because guys, I'm in, I'm in youth ministry. I'm in youth ministry for many, many years. And man, that's like how so a lot of these interactions go. And man, you know, and I'll be honest with you, it doesn't, really, it doesn't really stop at youth ministry. It keeps going, man. It keeps following people around. 
You meet with people, and oftentimes, you know, you get one side of the story, and they're just angels, and the other people are horrible. But here's the thing. We ought to seek truth and tell truth, even when it makes us look wrong. Tell truth and seek truth, even when it, 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 it doesn't go our way, and even when the circumstances don't make you look good. We, we, if we are going to reflect the character of God, we must always seek truth in all circumstances. Amen? Amen. The, second, uh, the second thing that's forbidden in the ninth commandment is do not gossip or slander. And there is a difference between the two. And we're going to take a look at both of them. Uh, but today, uh, but right now, I, I want to start off by, talk, by looking at gossip. And by definition, gossip is passing along a report, a rumor that cannot be sustained, right? But... Really, gossip is more than that, right? Because here's the thing. Some of us might stand here and be like, well, I don't gossip. I only tell truth. I know it's true, so I'm going to go and tell everybody about this. But yeah, right, sometimes we pass along information that paints our brother and sister or our neighbor in a bad light. We should not aim to corrupt our, our, our neighbor's image so that everybody can know what they did and know their secrets that, doesn't, that that business does not belong to anyone else but to them. So you may hear and say, okay, so where, how, how can we filter this out? How can we discern what's something that we should say about somebody and what we shouldn't? I have three questions that we should ask ourselves before we go out and pass on information that may or may not be, uh, may or may not be gossip. The first thing we need to ask ourselves is, is it necessary to pass along this information? Is it necessary? What is the point of it? Is it, is it of any use? Is it of, is it of any edification for anybody, for myself or for them? If the answer is no, then just stop and don't say anything. Amen. The second thing we should ask yourself is, would the person I'm about to talk about be happy if I were to pass along this information? Right? This is where that truth thing comes out of, right? Well, I'm, I'm just saying the truth to people. But would, but would your neighbor be happy that you pass this information along? Right? Hey, man, Jimmy got straight A's. That's so awesome, right? Tell everybody, right? We should be happy for them. We should rejoice with them, right? We got a job promotion. Amazing. Praise God. Hey, he got fired because it was reported that he was being lazy. Probably not the best thing to share around. Would that person want you to tell other people about an embarrassing thing that happened to them? Something shameful that happened to them. Something condemning that happened to them. Probably not. Amen? Amen. And lastly, a question we should ask ourselves is, what am I going to do as a result of telling this third party about this other person? Right? What am I going to do about it? I think there's two different ways that we can go about it. The first is that we can come and say, hey, you know what? I care about my brother and sister. I see that they're going through this. Let me see. Maybe I can get some counsel from a pastor or a leader. Maybe I can figure out if I need, I need to tell this information to an employer because they lost their job and trying to find them a job, right? There are some justifiable ways to be able to tell people about circumstances in order to help your brother or sister or in order to help your neighbor. But oftentimes, if I'm being honest with you guys, we often tell things in order that we may feel it's superior in some way because we don't like the person. 
that we are so quick to share bad news about somebody else because we don't like the person. We want them to continue to be condemned. We want everyone to know about what is happening in their lives because we want to feel better about ourselves. And the more miserable they are, the better we feel about it. Why are we this way? Why are we this way? In fact, in my life, I have found this, and maybe you found this true in your life, but there is no faster way to find a mutual, uh, to, to find a friend than to find a mutual enemy. And you began to talk about these people. And sadly, it's so easy to make a friend over secrets, right? Because people love secrets, especially juicy bad ones, right? Why do we love to hear bad news about people? Why do we love to hear it, right? Somebody tells us something, we're like, ah, no way. Shut up. And it's never in a tone, it's never in a tone like, oh no. Man, let's pray for our brother. It's always with a grin and eyes and ears perking up as if you're just consuming something that is taking over. Oh my gosh, tell me more. Why do we love to hear these things? Man, there are friendships that are formed on the basis of gossip. Let me tell you something. If someone comes and gossips to you, they'll gossip about you too. Amen. They'll gossip about you as well. But here's the thing. I'm gonna take it a step further that I will say that it's wrong to gossip, yes, but it's even wrong to listen to gossip. Proverbs uh, chapter 18, verse 8 says, The words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. They go down to the inner parts of our bodies. Man, we just love it. It's delicious. It's amazing. We would love to hear. We crave to hear. There are shows that literally just spread gossip. There are podcasts people listen to that literally just spread gossip. But here's the thing that we can't just pretend we're innocent bystanders as we're participating in gossip because we're not the ones that are saying the words. If you're in this circle hearing gossip and you say nothing about it, you're guilty of it too. As good brothers and sisters and protecting our neighbor's names and upholding their reputation and having our, uh, their best interest in our hearts, it means that when you hear gossip that you stop at it right there. You say, hey, we need to stop this. They're not here to defend themselves. They're not here to talk about what happened. We need to stop and stop making this further that we not continue to spread gossip, that we might hurt people's feelings and people's perception of who they are. Amen. Gossip is wrong, but participating in gossip is also wrong. So now let's talk about slander. Slander takes it one step further. Because slander is deliberately passing along what is false. Jesus considered slander a very serious sin. In Matthew 15, 19, uh, it says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Sometimes we are quick to make mistakes and pass along information that proves to be inaccurate by mistake. But too often we are quick to pass along false information on purpose, knowing we didn't get all the facts. And that is slander. And here's the thing that 
And the, the fact that, that Jesus would put false witness and slander on the same spectrum or the same category as murder, adultery, and sexual immorality has to show you how much he despises this sin. Here's what's crazy. You know what slander also includes? It's, it includes assuming the worst motives for other people's intentions and refusing, to, uh, and, and, and refusing to give people the benefit of the doubt. Right? That, we, that we just come up with these crazy scenarios in our, lives, in our heads, right? It happens all the time, right? That people just assume that someone has something against them. Right? She didn't talk to me because she's really mad. Or man, he wrote this email and this, and this text and you could just hear the tone in it. It's bad. And there's no evidence for it. Right? We, we develop elaborate stories and speculations in our, in our brain and we tell people as if they were true. We pass it along to other people as they were true. Right? Man, you should have seen how this person looked at me. I just know she just, she just looks mad. She's mad at me. Right? Well, how do you know that? Well, she hasn't said she's mad, but man, she looked at me weird in the parking lot. <laughs> man, in the lobby, he didn't even, usually he goes in for a handshake and a hug, and this time he just gave me a wave. He's mad. He, he just doesn't like me for some reason. And we tell other people as if that's a true scenario, as if it wasn't a fabrication in our own minds, and we pass it along and we slander, uh, we slander about people. When it's just things that we've just told ourselves that we, whether we're just delusional and think they're correct, but if we truly, if we truly have a, a speculation that there's an altercation, there's a problem between somebody, go and talk to them directly so you may know how to get to the bottom of it. There needs to be reconciliation or maybe you just thought things and it wasn't the way it was meant to be. That there really is no, hey, it's all love. That there are no problems and everything is fine and we're coming up with things in our minds. But if you feel like there is a problem, go speak to them directly. And let's seek reconciliation if there needs to be some. The third thing that's forbidden in the ninth commandment is not to join in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing. Not condemning anyone without a hearing and being able for someone to defend themselves. See, one of the foundational points of our judicial, America, uh, judicial system is that you're innocent until proving guilty. And this, in fact, is a biblical idea. In Proverbs uh, 18, 17, it says that the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes, uh, other comes and examines him. So we, we should want to hear all the facts uh, on something before we come to a conclusion. Amen? Another foundational point in our judicial system and a big taboo in the courtroom is to perjure while you're on the stand, right? To give false witness. And in fact, another biblical idea, and that's exactly what the, the, the initial command here is in the ninth commandment, that we not bear false witness, meaning that we do not give false testimony about our neighbor that is convicted of something or that is being accused of something, that he shall be put and, and, and put into prison or even put to death and have, this, uh, and have this sentence that he did not deserve and that was based upon lies. That's the whole foundation, the whole thing that, that the ninth commandment is trying to get at, right? And all these things are important today, but especially to this time when the 10 commandments were written, it was very important to them that these witnesses, 
were, were, were true. On De in Deuteronomy 17, 6 says that on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, the one who, uh, who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of just one witness. In 1 Timothy 5, 19, it says, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Again, whether it be for a crime or whether it be within church, that we do not, that we do not uh, make a charge unless there are more than two witnesses, right? Because it's important in their time. Witnesses were everything. For them, witnesses were everything. It was important that there were more than one person. So that way it's not, it's not just one person that, that has a quarrel against somebody and they just be convicted and be put and be sentenced to something that just isn't true. That just isn't true. And here's the thing that we face these things in the courtroom, but I think we also face this thing, these things in our everyday life. I think we face them in our everyday life. We, we face them on social media. We face them on the internet all the time. Uh, we get trials by Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And they grab somebody that they just want to, you know, somebody just want to cancel for saying something or for doing something. And oftentimes we get into these battles of back and forth. And, hey, you need to be on this side. You need to be on my, my side. And the moment that you do not choose a side and you are being condemned, how can you stay silent about all of these things and so forth and so forth. And as believers, we need to sometimes take a break and take a pause and say, well, let me examine this whole thing. Let me try to get all the facts before we fully just convict somebody because of our thoughts and our images for them and come to an actual conclusion. Because here's the thing, sometimes people are proven innocent about something or they didn't do something and the facts say it didn't happen, but because people were aiming to just corrupt their personhood, to, to corrupt their character, that didn't matter if they were not guilty of it, people's perception of them were, have, has already been messed up. And all of it was just on false accounts and false witnesses. And sometimes we fall, we, we, we fall just condemned to these lies. So we, and, and, and so where this commandment really comes to is that we must not condemn anyone without a, a cause, without a just cause. That we, we, we just have to go out and say the unpopular thing to just, let's, let's wait until we get everything. Not make judgment calls on people that you heard rumors about without knowing everything and getting to know this person and not getting their character just completely messed up due to this false witness of other people. Don't let people help you or make you make up a mind about somebody or something. You go and make up your own mind about it, getting everything out on the, uh, uh, on the table. Amen? Because our character is really all we have. Our good name is, is really all we have. We have to do whatever we can to protect our brother and sister's good name. Here's the thing that most of us, we can probably recover, we can more quickly if we lost our homes, our cars, our bank accounts than if we lost our good name. If you lose stuff, people feel sorry for you, right? They rally around and they say, let me love you, uh, let me help you, let me, let, let me help you find you a job. But if you lose your good name and reputation, nobody wants to touch you, nobody wants to be associated with you. See, a good name can take a lifetime to build and a single afternoon to lose. 
It just takes a few malicious people to say something bad and other people to believe it. And sometimes that name is just down the drain. And see, when I read scripture about what God thinks about lying and about false witness and about all this malicious intent to come up with lies towards people, I'm always, it's kind of insane to me that God would put this category of lying and false witness and slander under the same banner as lying and sexual immorality and theft and all of these things. And they would put it under murder. I think it's insane to me. It's so crazy how God has such a high view of the truth. Right, and just in its in its at its core, it's because it's who God's character is, right? That He is truth. But even on top of that, I believe there is a another deep reason why God hates this so much. God hates this sin so deeply, and it's because Jesus experienced it Himself. That Jesus was a victim of being charged with an illegal trial due to false witness, due to slander, due to people making up lies about who he was. Jesus was crucified by false witness. So the Pharisees sought to accuse Jesus when they couldn't find anything. They bore false testimonies. We read in Mark 14, 55 to 56, says, Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many who bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. Even to the standard of the law of Moses, which if you know anything about the Pharisees, they held the law of Moses above everything else. They believed that the only way to be saved is to be able to, 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 be able to follow all of these laws from beginning to end. They held it above every single standard. So imagine how much the Pharisees had had to had hated Jesus to go against the law that they loved so much to, 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 to make up lies and bear false witness about Jesus to put him on that cross. They threw everything that they thought was good and true in order that they would put Jesus to death. And here's the worst part of the Pharisees and their false testimony changed everyone's perception of Jesus in just one week. The crowds and the triumphal entry they screamed, they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, the Messiah is here. They were filled with joy. They worshiped God. They gave him all the glory. They loved him. They praised him. They laid down leaves for him. They welcomed him into their lives. And in just one week, those same people in the same fickle crowd, the narrative would change through this false witness that the religious leaders have painted on Jesus. And people went from loving him and having joy to spitting on him and ridiculing him and embarrassing him and beating him and putting a cross on his back and crucify him, crucifying him like a criminal. The crowds went from saying, Hosanna in the highest to crucify him, crucify him. Jesus cared for them. He loved them. 
He healed them. He forgave sinners. He did miracles, but none of that mattered because the crowd turned on him. He went from being their miracle worker, their healer, their Lord, their savior, to being a blasphemer and a conspirator against the emperor. An innocent Jesus was declared guilty due to false witness. Being condemned without the proper procedure. That they will bear false witness about Jesus and his character where he cannot lie. It is against his character to lie. It is who he is that he is truth. So I will say this, that above bearing false witness against your neighbor, we better make sure that we do not bear false witness against our God. We better make sure that we know who our God is because he is knowable and he's made himself knowable through the scriptures. Because here's the third thing that the ninth commandment teaches us is that lying corrupts the testimony of the church. And I'm gonna end with this. Here's some fun fact. It takes hours upon hours throughout days of studying for us pastors to come up here on this platform before you guys and write up our sermons to present and help you understand God. The reason being is that we want to make sure that we are being biblically correct in every single mis message that we may not lead you astray from the Word of God. Because bearing false testimony against God is blasphemy. It is every pastor's duty to make sure that the gospel they're preaching is true, that we may not be guilty of blasphemy. And here's the thing that I will tell to you guys, that it is every disciple's duty. It is every follower of Jesus' duty. It's every one of your duty to make sure that the gospel that you're teaching and that you're spreading and even the gospel that you're hearing is biblical. This is what Paul says about the matter in Galatians chapter 1 verse 8. It says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. I want to focus on this word accursed. I'm going to do my best uh, imitation of Ricky here. I don't really, I don't know Greek as uh, he knows it, all of it, but um, this word that we see is this. The word is anathema. And it means to be excommunicated, to be taken away. Here's the thing that Paul felt so strongly that we don't bear false witness against God, that we make sure that we preach the, the false gospels Right, that we not become blasphemers of his character, that the gospel that he said that if anybody, says even if an angel would come and preach to you a different gospel, that they should be excommunicated from your life and from your church. Do not let people that do not that share a false gospel speak into your life and come before you on a pulpit and speak lies about the character of God and about who he is, because it corrupts the testimony of the church. Because if people can can trust the words we're saying are true, why would they ever hear us, hear to us, to, to, to hear about the gospel that God has instructed us here in the Word? We got to make sure that our testimony of, uh, as a church remains consistent, remains in line with the character of God. Here's the thing, we want this church to be a place where people are being fed truth and not lies. 
In scripture, we see something very amazing that in Acts 1.8, the disciples are told, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witness. It says, you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, that we will be his witness. There's almost nothing more important than living out our lives as faithful witnesses, bearing truth of what God has commanded us to go out and preach. Everybody baptize in the name of the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, our words must be trustworthy at all times. They must be, they must be trusted and it must be truth at all times. Otherwise, how will people believe us when we want to give them the words of life? Why should they even trust us to speak of eternal things if we cannot be trusted to speak on temporal earthly things? If our habit is to lie, why should people listen to you when you try to tell them the truth of the gospel? That's what we have to make sure that we are being truthful and that we do not corrupt the testimony of the church. Instead, let's be a church where people trust our words to be true. That we may share the good news that Jesus was put to death by liars to save liars, that we may be forgiven. That we be a church that seeks out truth, that speaks out truth, and that preserves our neighbor's name and testimony. Let's reflect the character of God in chasing after truth at whatever means necessary. Amen? Amen. Pray with me. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your gospel. I thank you that all your words are true, that we can look at scripture and know that these are your words and that we can trust all the promises and we can trust every single word here. God, we love you so much. I ask that this conviction doesn't just stop here, but that your Holy Spirit continue to convict us through our lives to speak truth to people, to stop gossip, to stop slander, to stop blaspheming against you, God. That we be in our word to get to know you more. That we forgive people. That we give people the benefit of the doubt. God, that we seek after your truth that you have laid out for us in scripture. God, we love you so much. We thank you so much. And in Jesus' mighty name, your church says, amen, amen, amen.